Let's seriously turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're going to look at the latter part of this chapter. We looked at the first part two weeks ago. If you're new here, we are in a teaching series and a preaching series called Good News for the Not So Good. And this is uh, the 12th message in this series in, in 1 Corinthians. And so this is, uh, today is a big picture approach to discipleship. I'm going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 17, then to the end of the chapter, verse 40, from the New International Version. Verse 17, 1 Corinthians 7. Nevertheless, each one should retain the place in life that the Lord assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is the rule I laid down in all the churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was the man uncircumcised when he is called, he should not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Each one should remain in a situation with which he was in when God called him. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although, if you can gain your freedom, do so. For he who was a slave when he was called by the Lord is the Lord's freedman. Similarly, he who was a freedman when he was called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brothers, each man as responsible to God should remain in the situation God has called him to. Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for you to remain as you are. Are you married? Do not seek a divorce. Are you unmarried? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And Paul says, I want to spare you of this. What I mean, brothers, verse 29, is that the time is short. Friends, the time is short. If it was short in Paul's day, hello? Think about the day we're living in today. From now on, those who have wives should live as they had none, those who mourn as if they did not, those who are happy as if they were not, and those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord, but a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world and how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. That being the goal. If anyone thinks he is acting improperly toward a virgin he is engaged to, and if she is getting along in the ears and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion but has control over his own will, and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then, he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does even better. 
A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. Verse 40, in my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. So that then concludes what Paul's writing in this, in this part of the, of, the, of the letter. And so really as we're continuing in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 today, I want to briefly kind of look back a little bit, go over and review where Paul's been talking about various things here. And then we'll discuss, uh, discuss this morning some questions and then talk about what can we learn what can you and I learn? What can the church today learn from what Paul is writing in 1 Corinthians 7, 17 through 40? First of all, as an overview, as we have seen in recent messages, Paul has been discussing appropriate boundaries and really inappropriate conduct in sexual relationships for Christians. If you were here in the last month at all, you recall that Paul in chapters 5 and 6 addresses some over-the-top bad behavior. I referred to uh, chapters 5 and 6 as the church gone wild. And then in chapter 7, he gives some practical guidelines for those who are married, for those who are widowed, those who are single, and those who are engaged. He says that married couples are to look after one another's needs and not to deprive one another sexually. And then to the unmarried and to the widows, he says it'd be better for them to remain single just as he is single. And he says, hey, if you're married, don't consider divorce. Stay in the marriage. Find a way to make it work. If your spouse is an unbeliever and doesn't want to end the marriage, then stay with them because you will bring a holy presence into that relationship and the entire family, and it could eventually lead to your spouse's salvation. The main thing, Paul says, is to strive for peace. Well, in verses 17 through 40 today, Paul talks about things that we should change, what should remain the same, you know, what's our life situation like, and we'll look more closely at that today. But in the remaining verses of this chapter, um, Paul gets into some things that, well, what, Paul, what are you talking about there? You know, whether, whether people should marry or not, and is it better not to marry, and, and that kind of thing. And, and really, those who are married, he says, have worries and problems that the unmarried don't have. To those who are unmarried, can give their undivided attention to serving Christ. But then he says, however, if you need to be married, go ahead and get married. It's not a sin. But his recommendation as we read this chapter is that believers stay single if they can. But then he finishes this chapter by saying, hey, I think I am giving you counsel from God's spirit when I say this. So let's look at some questions then regarding uh, the remaindering part of this chapter. Questions to consider. First of all, what exactly was Paul's relationship status? I mean, he says, I wish everyone were single just as I am. And he also says it's better to stay unmarried just as I am. And so is Paul saying that he was a lifelong bachelor? Probably not for a couple of reasons. First of all, he was a rabbi who received training from Gamaliel, Acts 22, verse 3, and it was expected of rabbis in those days to be married. Also, Paul was a member of the Sanhedrin, which was sort of a board of elders in Judaism. And also, those members of the Sanhedrin were required to be married. So the two possibilities are that Paul was a widow or that Paul was divorced. 
And if he was divorced according to his own counsel, that his wife then chose to end the relationship. However, we're not sure of those things. We only know at this point, Paul is unmarried when he wrote this letter. Another question that, that, that needs to be considered, did Paul have a low opinion of marriage? No, he didn't. Uh, it may seem at first glance that he reduces marriage only to a physical relationship, but that's because physical relationships are the topic at hand. And Paul is really in these letters, uh, in the last three chapters, he's addressing the sexual conduct among those who are married and those who aren't. Well, Paul had, you recall, a lot to say about marriage in Ephesians chapter 5 that I alluded to two weeks ago. And in Ephesians, Paul really compares the marital relationship to, to our relationship with Christ. He says a profound mystery. And so Paul really considered marriage a sacred relationship and, and, and considered it to be, to be uh, before God something very important. Another question that comes up, well, if Paul, if Paul wasn't anti-marriage, why did he encourage people not to marry? Well, verse 26 gives us a clue. He says, because of the present crisis, I think it's best for you to remain as you are. The present crisis could also be translated the impending crisis. Now, which present, which impending crisis is Paul talking about? Well, I believe Paul is able to discern that if Jesus didn't come quickly, life was about to get tough and ugly for Christ followers throughout the, the Roman world. And if you read history, it did. In the following centuries, multiplied thousands of Christians were put to death in the most violent way. And so Paul says, verse 28, those who get married at this time will have troubles, and I'm trying to spare you of those problems. As I mentioned before, Paul is simply writing this letter to believers in a specific situation at a specific point in time. His words don't necessarily apply to every believer in every generation and every nation, but they did apply to the Christians in Corinth that were living a life under a hostile regime. There are places in the world today where it might be necessary to give the same advice as in, you know, now might not be the best time to marry. As a Christian, you might be considered unemployable. Your family could disown you. The authorities could arrest you. An angry mob could come after you, and so on. You see, there are countries today where the Christian faith is violently oppressed. And Paul's words still resonate and still apply then in that sense in people's lives today. But even to believers living in the troubled times of first century Corinth, Paul makes it a point to say, hey, but if you do get married, it's not a sin. It's okay. So Paul is not anti-marriage. He's just taking a practical approach to managing what could be a very difficult situation for them. Now, keeping that in mind, let's look at some guidelines then to discipleship because what we see Paul do is he's doing throughout all these letters and this chapter where Paul takes the big picture approach to say, hey, this is, this is the kind of life you should be living. And these guidelines that he shares really provide a direction for the Corinthian Christians in their day and time, but they can also provide for us direction in our day and time as well. 
really as you plan out the days to come, these guidelines will help you make every bend in the road and hopefully make it safe to heaven. Friends, we have to keep our eyes on heaven, on Jesus, on eternity. And so here are the guidelines. Number one, as much as possible, keep your situation in life the same, at least for now. Verse 17, once again, each of you should continue to live in whatever situation the Lord has placed you and remain as you were when God first called you. And then verse 18, for instance, he says, a man who was circumcised before he became a believer should not try to reverse it. And the man who was uncircumcised when he became a believer should not be circumcised. Now, now why would Paul say that? Well, in the early days in the church, Jewish Christians often would pressure Gentile Christians into getting circumcised. In addition to following all the other requirements of the Jewish law, they said, well, if you really want to be fully Christian, you should become circumcised. And some even said, you can't be saved if you haven't been circumcised. Now, and also in those days, it was actually somewhat common for Jewish men who did a great deal of business in the Greek world to have a reverse procedure done so that it would appear to be Gentile as it were. Now, for context, much business then was done in gymnasiums and bathhouses. And so Paul says, you don't need to make this drastic change, verse 19, for it makes no difference whether or not a man has been circumcised. The important thing is to keep God's commands. Now, Paul, you'll recall, was a former Pharisee. And he wants to make it clear that circumcision does not define your spirituality. That's not how we define it, he says. And Paul's saying, what really matters, and it matters to us today, is your devotion to Jesus Christ. But then he goes on to say that if you were unmarried when you came to Christ, don't seek to get married. And if you're married, don't seek to get out of it. He, what he's saying, he's just saying, guys, just live for Jesus. Just live for him. Wherever you are, whatever situation you find yourself, it's like him saying, bloom where you're planted. And I know it's a cliche and it sounds that way, but it's also very good advice. When we choose to bloom where we're planted, we're going to make the most of the situation we're in and we're going to remind ourselves of a couple important truths. Number one, you don't have to jump through anybody's hoop to prove you belong to Jesus Christ. One of my pet peeves is on Facebook, if you love Jesus, you'll post this, this saying. Forget that. I purposely don't post those things because I'm not going to post someone, someone else's meme to say, well, I love Jesus, can't you see that? You know what I'm saying? And so it's like, that's not a proof of our spirituality, all right? And so we don't have to jump through hoops, number one. And number two, if you have to jump through a hoop to be accepted by the group, you're probably in the wrong group. Come on. I've known people who have gotten married, not because they found that someone special, but because they decided, you know, I can no longer, I no longer want to take the pressure of those, of my family, of my friends, saying, when are you going to get married? When are you going to get married? You know, I, one woman said to her pastor, I would be willing to marry almost anyone if it means I'll never be asked again, why are you still single? You know, 
Forget that. You see, you bloom where you're planted. You also abandon the idea that says, I can't be a good Christian until, until I'm married, until I'm single, until I have more money, until I go, you know, find somebody else or go somewhere else and, and live somewhere else, until I got these friends or whatever. Before Paul is saying you make any drastic changes in your life, Paul is saying, I'm encouraging you to make this vow. I will be faithful to God in this situation no matter what. And if nothing changes, I will still be faithful. That's what God is after. That's what Paul is saying. Friends, we have to come to a place where we make a commitment to Jesus Christ that I'm going to live for him, I'm going to serve him by life or by death. That gentleman I showed you a picture of, Three months. At least he knew it was going to cost him. He chose, but he chose poorly. Big picture number one. Number two, if you can make your life better, by all means, make it better. Now, on the surface, this might seem in direct opposition to what I just said in point one. But realize here there's a, de there's a delicate balance to be maintained between point one and point two. And so when Paul tells us to remain in the situation in which we are called, he's not telling us to become complacent. He is telling us to become content. Contentment. He's saying you need to accept your situation with the resolution to remain faithful to God. And if it so happens that you can change your situation for the better, by all means, change your situation. Verse 20 and 21. Yes, each of you should remain as you were when God called you. Are you a slave? Don't let that worry you. But if you get a chance to be free, he says, take it. Now, occasionally, slaves would get the opportunity back then to earn their freedom in some manner. And Paul says, if that opportunity comes your way, by all means, take it. No doubt, life is easier when you aren't someone's possession. So if you get a chance at liberty, take it. Hartman's paraphrase. In the same way, Paul says that if you're struggling with being single and struggling with remaining pure and it's dragging you down and it's wearing you out, then go ahead and get married. He says in verse 9, it's better to marry than to burn. Covered that two weeks ago. Now, the idea here is not that we just accept our lot in life and never make an effort to make it any better. If you can add a certain benefit to your life, then by all means, add that certain benefit. But if you need to eliminate a certain problem from your life, once again, try to eliminate that problem. And it's going to help you be more faithful to Christ in your walk with Christ. Well, then make that necessary change. In other words, do what's best for all involved and make sure your heart continues to go after God. Now, here's something interesting in my study. Earlier I mentioned Paul said, and the man who was uncircumcised, verse 18, when he became a believer, should not be circumcised now. And yet, think about this. In Acts chapter 16, we read about Paul making plans to invite Timothy on his next missionary journey. Keep in mind, Timothy's mother was Jewish, but his father was a Greek, not a geek, a Greek. And Luke is basically telling us in Acts 16, in deference to the Jews, verses 3 through 5, in deference to the Jews of the area, he, Paul, arranged for Timothy to be circumcised before they left. Hmm. For everyone knew his father was a Greek, 
Then they went from town to town, instructing the believers to follow the decisions made by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in their faith and grew larger each day. Now, together, Paul and Timothy made this strategic decision because they understood that it would give Timothy greater credibility among the Jewish leaders. And it would also help them avoid any unnecessary obstacle in their ministry efforts. I was reading about this and I thought, you know, they don't teach you this stuff in Bible college. Circumcision 101, you know, whether or not to be circumcised or to become uncircumcised, no idea how that happens, all right? But Paul could have approached this differently. Paul could have come in, guns a-blazing, and so to speak, and he said, he could have got all confrontational and says, you know, it makes no difference whether a man has been circumcised or not. And Paul, if he came in that way, Paul would have been right, but he and Timothy would have missed out on a ministry opportunity. And Timothy might not have been, uh, had, had a chance to become the leader he, he would become. And the churches also, uh, they might not have grown as they grown and accepted uh, their ministry as well. So really what Paul is saying in that decision in Acts 16, let's be strategic for the sake of the gospel. I mean, why would Paul say circumcision is not important and then encourage Timothy to be circumcised? Why? Because Paul was looking at the bigger picture. How many times have you and I blown it? Because we come in, guns a-blazing this, that, and everything else, and instead of getting the mind of God, say, God, what do you want here? You know, Paul was simply seeing the battles that were before him, and, and as you grow in Christ, you will find out there are some battles that aren't worth fighting. There are some things not worth chasing. Some things that aren't worth your time. All right? And so really, Paul's objective in having Timothy circumcised was to further the gospel, not just to prove himself right about everything all the time. All right, all right. So for this reason, Paul's approach was always practical. Let's do what's best in the long run here. Let's do what's best for the sake of Christ, for the sake of the gospel. It's really what Paul is really saying is, let's become all things to all men for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's make sure the gospel goes forward. Second thing. Number, number three, and I, I close with this. Maintain a healthy distance from the world around you. And if I, if I could emphasize any of these three points, church, please get this one. Jesus said that we are to be in the world, but not of the world. If there's a message the Holy Spirit wants to speak to the church today, it's that right there. Church, we don't belong here for eternity. We are just passing through. We are just passing through. The Bible says we are strangers, some stranger than others, I know. We are strangers, we are aliens, we are foreigners. Now, I'm not talking about the group foreigner, okay? We are foreigners, we, we don't belong here. That means we don't escape to the desert to live in seclusion, and we don't escape to Nome, Alaska to live in seclusion, even though you could. And Pastor Austin said many people come here to get away and to run from the law or whatever. And I could share stories with you, but I don't have time this morning. All right. See, we live, we work, we do business with all kinds of people and customers. We interact with our friends and, and family. We live alongside our neighbors right here in the real world. And we do it without allowing the world to shape our values and our priorities. 
You see, most people's priorities, most people's values today are shaped by the culture they live in. For the Christ follower, our values, our priorities are shaped by the Word of God. That's why we say, get in the Word. Let the Word of God get into you. Study the Word of God. Show yourself approved unto God as a workman who knows how to rightly divide the Word of truth. Friends, we have to be in the Word. We have to be in prayer. We have to be a people who says, God, I live in this world, but I'm not of this world. Oh, I feel that. Amen. I mean, just compare those who came of age in the 50s versus those who came of age in the 70s. Quick story. I sat by a guy on an airplane from Anchorage to Seattle. And it's about a three-hour flight, I think it was, someplace in there. And we started talking. He's from Bozeman, Montana. And we talked almost the whole trip. About an hour in the talk, I said, may I ask you a question? Because we, we were like exactly the same belief spiritually, politically, everything. We, we just saw everything the same. I said, may I ask you a personal question? He says, sure. I says, what year were you born in? He says, 1962. I'm going, that's the year I was born in. We grew up in the same, same year. I mean, we were born in the same year. We grew up in the same kind of mindset. But I can guarantee you, those who were born in the 70s or 80s or 90s or whatever, they see things differently. And I was like, you're getting old, but I'm your same man. I'm, I just ordered a t-shirt last, last, two days ago. The t-shirt and the saying, oh, help me, where's Julia? Uh, t-shirt says, it's weird being the same age as old people. I love that saying. That's like how I'm seeing life right now. I was like, I'm not old, but wow, I am getting there, all right? Back to the scripture. But to both groups, Paul said, uh, Romans 12, 2, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. The transformation by the renewing of your mind. What, how does that happen? The word of God. Paul says something similar to the Christians in Corinth. But let me say this, verse 29. Dear brothers and sisters, the time that remains is very short. The time that we're living in. Friends, if you can't see we're living in the last days, I'm going to say, wake up. All right, The signs are all around us. And Paul says, so from now on, those with wives should not focus only on their marriage. And those who weep or those who rejoice or buy things should not be absorbed by their weeping or their joy of their possessions. Those who use the things of the world should not become attached to them. For this world, as we know it, will soon, will soon pass away. And then he says in verse 32, I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. I think a question we should all ask ourselves is this. How can I, how can I effectively in this world, live in this world without allowing the possessions of the world to own me? It's not wrong to own stuff. I mean, there's, there's patriarchs in the Bible that the wealth is, is untold. I mean, it's just crazy. But here's the deal. Do you own the possessions or do the possessions own you? Do you own the stuff or does the stuff own you? It's not wrong to have stuff. God blesses, with all, with us, blesses us with all things to freely enjoy. But let's not make sure, let's, let's make sure that those things don't grab our heart and grip our heart. In other words, how can I live in this world without, without allowing the culture of this world to define me? 
In other words, how can I be in this world, but not of this world? And it really comes down to that delicate balance. See, we live each day to the fullest, fully understanding, you know, this day isn't all there is. Once again, keep your focus on heaven. Keep your focus on Jesus. Keep your focus on eternity. We live this day to the fullest, but we don't live for this day. We live in this world, but we don't live for this world. And anything this world has to offer that might stand in the way of my full devotion to Jesus Christ, I want to keep it at a distance. Be it my emotions, my possessions, relationships, plans for the future, etc. And we keep all the world has to offer at a distance. Why? So our focus remains on Christ and Christ alone. See, after, after Paul gives all these instructions, he offers this explanation in verse 35. I am saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. He says, I want you to do whatever will help you. Here it is. I want to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. Wow. With as few distractions as possible. You see, this is Paul's practical, bottom line, no-nonsense, big-picture approach to discipleship. And it really summarizes all the advice that Paul gives us in the chapter, and that is this. Do whatever will help you serve the Lord best. Do whatever will help you serve the Lord best. The first step, of course, begins with contentment. Before you try to change something, be willing to remain where you are. And Paul says, hey, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, bloom where you're planted. The second step is to change whatever circumstances you can change and eliminate any distractions you can eliminate in order to become more like Christ. And the third step is to remember that in whatever way the world may change around you, don't let the world make its change within you. Instead, focus on doing whatever will help you serve the Lord best. I believe, church, if we'll follow these big picture guidelines, we'll be much better off. My question for us this morning is, what stands in your way right now of you fully serving Christ? This gentleman, I don't, Austin gave me his name, three months, came to church, three months being discipled but then came to the conclusion, this is going to cost me everything. Yes, it will. We, you and I, need to make that commitment to Christ, says, Lord, I will serve you by life or by death, whatever comes. I'm surrendered to you because Jesus, you bought me with your blood. I am your possession. I'm your bond slave. Bible language, amen? Let's all stand on our feet. If God's speaking to you specifically this morning about something in your life that you're holding on to that is causing your relationship with him not to be what it should, I would ask you, implore you, exhort you this morning, turn that over to him. Yield that to him. Because things that are small now and getting in the way will become bigger later if you don't deal with it. Discipleship, that's what it's about.
Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, for speaking to us through Paul, through your word. And I pray, God, that not only may we be hearers of your word today, but God, help us to become doers of your word. To place at the altar this morning those things in our lives that are hindering our relationship with you. Lord, help us, as Paul says, to be content, to bloom where we're planted. God, help us to put these things into practice in our lives. And Lord, we thank you for blessing us in this country with with so many things we take for granted. But Lord, help us not to focus on those things, but to focus on you and to serving you and to do what's best in your eyes. And Father God, help us to be not just living in this world, but God, not to be of this world. And, and And to realize, God, that our our situation we find ourselves in today, God, we just, we just surrender that to you. Yes. Things that might be a hindrance right now, God, we lay it at the altar. If God's bringing up in your mind things that you need to, to give to him this morning, you've been hanging on to, surrender that to him this morning. If there's sin in your life, repent of that right now, saying, Jesus, forgive me, wash me, cleanse me from my sin. The Bible says if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you come this morning and do not have a personal love relationship with Jesus Christ, then today is your day of salvation. Today is your day to make that commitment, that surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ, saying, Lord, I want to live for you. I repent of my sin. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. If that describes where you might be at today in your spiritual journey, I want to ask you right where you're standing, put your hand up and say, Pastor Brian, I don't know where I'm going to spend eternity, but I want to repent of my sin today, and I want to become a follower of Jesus Christ. It will cost you, but you're willing to surrender to him. Think about the sacrifice he made on your behalf. If that describes where you're at today, spiritually, and you need forgiveness in your life, right where you're standing, say, Pastor Brian, today, I need Christ. Raise your hand high. I need Christ in my life today. There's sin in my life I need to repent of, and I want to surrender my life to Jesus Christ. Today is my day of salvation. Just holding steady for a minute. I like to give people opportunity, as did Pastor Jim, doing a great job last week. Once again, give an opportunity to respond. Saying, God, help me. God, work in my heart, work in my life. Lord Jesus, may you increase. May we decrease. Lord, help us, God, to be transformed by the renewing of our mind according to your word, to be people of prayer, people of your word, living in this world but not of this world. And Lord, I pray as we hear this message today, once again, that you would put it into practice in our lives in this, your church. Help us to live it beyond these four walls because we also know that going to church doesn't make us a Christian. But it's our devotion, our surrender, our commitment to you. Lord, be Lord of our lives, not just our Savior or confessing you to be Savior. Lord, I pray your your blessing now upon your people as we're dismissed. I pray, God, that you would move in power and glory in our families, in our lives, in our homes, in our community, in our neighborhoods. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
The altars are open if you need to spend some time with the Lord. If you want to be prayed for, prayed with, I'll be available to pray for you. Other than that, we have a prayer meeting tonight, 6 o'clock, and it's open for all. Kids are welcome as well. And uh, if you can come out for an hour of prayer, we welcome you. Uh, but God bless you all. Don't forget, next Sunday, 10 o'clock, last Sunday for 10 o'clock service, September 10, we go to uh, 9 o'clock Sunday school and 10.30 service. Lord bless you. Have a great week in the Lord. Amen.